Welcome to episode 163 of the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm Beth Bilo, and I am so grateful that you're joining me for the final podcast episode of 2017. And if you're a loyal listener, you know that at the last episode, I said that that was going to be my last one. That was my interview with Steve Cunningham of readitfor.me. But what happened was I had this conversation with my guests today, and I love the conversation so much, and it seemed so perfect for year-end that I had to squeeze it in um, before we said farewell to 2017. My guest today is Grace Judson, and she's a communication coach, speaker, author, and teacher. Like I said, this is the perfect topic for a year-end podcast, since many of us have communication on our minds, specifically conversations around the dinner table with relatives and friends and family who may have different beliefs than we do. I think you'll find that Grace shares some excellent approaches for how to navigate any tricky subjects that might come up. And of course, these tips apply across all sorts of conversations, including ones that we have as leaders and entrepreneurs. Conflict isn't always a bad thing, as Grace and I talk about, and in fact, it can be productive and meaningful. I hope you come away from this episode with a fresh perspective and a few new tools that support you in having better conversations in all areas of your life. It wouldn't be year-end, and I wouldn't be a good coach, if I didn't mention what's on a lot of people's minds right now, and that's New Year's resolutions. I believe more in making intentions and corresponding commitments. Intentions are more about how I want to be in the new year, and the commitments are how I plan to manifest those intentions. There are a gazillion frameworks for how to think of making goals and intentions and resolutions, and picking the right one for you can make a huge difference in your results. I personally appreciate something I picked up from a coaching client several years ago. She shared that her supervisor asked her to include in her annual review a list of things that she intended to start doing, stop doing, and keep doing. Something about that approach feels very holistic to me, recognizing that it's not just about change and piling on new stuff, but also about being discerning about what we say no to and acknowledging what's already working that we want to sustain. I want to share with you my list and then invite you to reflect on your own list. In 2018, my start doing is to start taking more photographs of subjects other than flowers. (laughs) It might seem like a very simple, trivial thing, but I'm obsessed with flowers and dahlias in particular, and I want to expand my range with new images. I've noticed that when I look at the world with a photographer's eye, I see more. And when I see more, I feel more connected to my surroundings and in the present moment. And that has a ripple effect on my mindset and energy, which is good for everything that I'm doing. As for the stop doing, I'm going to stop being complicit in the things that go against my belief system and my values. Complicit was named the 2017 Word of the Year by Dictionary.com. And while it was used this year in a political context, it's certainly not the only way it can be viewed. 
When I think of the choices that I make in everything from what products I buy to which behaviors I tolerate, I have to question to what degree am I complicit in the things that go against my values. It's going to take some energy and intention to be awake to choices that I've previously made mindlessly or with my fingers crossed behind my back, but I am committed to working on it and to stop being complicit. As for what I'm going to keep doing, I'm going to keep expanding my capacity zone. If you've read my book or read my blog for a while, you know that I talk about expanding our capacity zone rather than stepping outside our comfort zone. It's a slight reframing that makes a big difference for me, and based on feedback I've received, it makes a difference for others. This past year, I've mostly expanded it by having more uncomfortable conversations, whether it's with friends or with clients. Each time I do, my capacity for them stretches ever so slightly, and I trust myself more to handle whatever happens. What are you going to start, stop, and keep doing in the new year? I invite you to take a little bit of time for reflection on that question, and it can be one thing in each category or make the list as long as you want. The main thing is that it is intentional and that it really reflects and honors your core values and what is really most important to you. There's a great conversation that I have ahead to share with you, so let's get to it. I'm really pleased to welcome the final guest of 2017, Grace Judson. Grace has a vision of a world where people talk about what matters. And because they do, their businesses, careers, and lives flourish. Their professional and personal relationships thrive. They achieve their goals and enjoy meaningful success. And they make a difference in the world. Her mission is to help leaders, teams, and individuals transform conflict, navigate tough business negotiations, and heal relationships. Hi, Grace. Welcome to the Introvert Entrepreneur Podcast. I am um, I'm so happy to be chatting with you. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for inviting me on. I'm delighted to be here. Well, what is making you smile today? This is going to be an incredibly geeky answer, but I am having more fun this last few weeks of the year than I have ever had in actually doing some really rigorous planning. How's that for... <laughs> That is geeky. <laughs> you win. Very geeky, but it's ridiculously fun. <laughs> yeah. How do you like to plan? Are you like technology or paper or long-term, short-term? <laughs> What's your approach? Um, I really, you know, every one of the reasons I haven't enjoyed it very much in the past is because I haven't found an approach that worked. Mm -hmm. um, I get very, uh, I, I'll admit to this, I get very anxious about setting really concrete goals because um, I then I find myself with aspirational goals that may be a little bit more than I expected to be biting off. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this year I've sort of really recognized the value of backing into things. So looking at, all right, what is the overall theme I want for my year? And then what am I really going to be focusing on um, from a quarter to quarter basis rather than a whole full year so that I can have a sense of accomplishment by the end of the year? And I'm using both, you know, pen and paper and computer and um, actually uh, using some training materials that I've purchased from a couple of different people mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And it's just... It really feels much more aligned this year with reality as well as with what 
uh, I really want to be doing and really lights me up. So I'm excited. Yeah, nice. Well, it's a great uh, reminder to all of us that, uh, you know, we we can, um, you know, pull in different pieces from uh, different systems, different processes and, and whatnot and create something that's our own because I can get frustrated mm-hmm. because I think that oh, I found, quote unquote, the system that solves all my needs and nothing ever does. Right. And um, to give ourselves permission to pick and choose, you know, see it as a buffet and uh, we can make it our own. <laughs> A buffet that you can then add different sauces to, or, you know, yeah. <laughs> separate out the, the bits you don't like. Yeah, because, I mean, even with the things that I am using as a background or as a foundation, I'm modifying a lot of it to say, all right, this is yeah. a great starting point, but now I really need to add this or take away that. And it's really, it's really feels like something I can relax into instead mm-hmm. of like a straight jacket. Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit of that insight because it is the season, right? It's, oh, boy. <laughs> we're talking at the end of the year. And so planning is on our minds. And mm-hmm. I love that it's making you smile. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, um, to give folks some context as we jump into our conversation that we're going to be focusing on conflict, I would love to hear a little bit about where you fall on the introvert-extrovert spectrum and how that awareness has influenced you. I am definitely an introvert. Um, I actually sometimes use introvert as a as a verb, like I need to go introvert now. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And it's interesting because when I was uh, still in the corporate world many years ago, probably, ooh, I don't think I want to say how many years ago, um, but a lot of years ago, <laughs> several, many, several decades, the organization I worked for at the time put us all through the good old Myers-Briggs. And I came out almost opposite what I subsequently took it and and discovered a fit for me so that it really felt like it was the right answer instead of this initial time where it was just like, no, seriously, that can't be me. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, they said I was an extrovert. And I was like, oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, I am definitely introverted. And I think that it has really been a benefit for me in understanding how I want to approach my work and how I want to present it. Because doing anything that is not in depth, you know, I learned early on that working with people who were really at, and this is not a judgment call, it's just a, a, a relative scale sort of thing, but working with people who are really at a beginner level mm-hmm. in the kind of work I do just wasn't interesting to me because it wasn't going deep enough. Mm-hmm. And and they need that, but it, I wasn't the right person to give it to them. And I also learned that focusing my my networking efforts on smaller groups and groups where there was some structure versus those big echoing rooms of random people yeah. <laughs> um, really got me much better results. Um, and I love teaching and speaking because there's a greater sense of control yes. over, you know, I'm not just stuck trying to figure out who to talk to and what to say. Yeah. I'm nodding and smiling my head a lot. Smiling, I'm nodding and smiling my mm. head. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we're almost to the holidays because I can't put just two sentences together. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. I, I like the image. It, it works. works. It works. <laughs> and that resonates. That totally resonates. Um, 
And I think it's one reason why so many introverts do find themselves pulled to entrepreneurship because we can create situations where we have that sense of control, you know, more frequently and and choose uh, ways to communicate and express ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, such as public speaking. Mm-hmm. Where we we have that platform. Yeah, and and I you know the the ability to mix up days where I am just head down by myself in my office and mm-hmm. days where sometimes I have to force myself out the door to go to a meeting or to you know meet somebody for lunch or go to an event. But I always almost always am glad <laughs> when I do it because yeah. even as an introvert, we do need people contact. I mean, we're still social animals after Definitely. all. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk about us as social animals in social situations, <laughs> um, because a lot of what you do as as um, in your work in communication is about how are we relating to one another? How are we socializing and not in the, the party sense, but in the, um, you know, social connection sense with one another. And um, I noticed one of your speaking topics is negotiation for nice people. And I wanted to alter that a bit and talk about conflict for nice uh-huh. people. <laughs> um, yeah. And I could even, and not that all quiet people are nice people. <laughs> Again, that's a big generalization, right? But I often do think that introverts, because we have that sort of observational, reserved, quiet, you know, it can seem like we're we're in that category of people that mm-hmm. aren't necessarily like jumping into conflict. Um, we're, we're more on the edges. And and part of that, I think, is because we have all sorts of stories about conflict and what it means to be in it. Would you take a moment to speak to those stories and and share what what might help us to form a new story? Yeah, I think I, conflict has gotten kind of a bad rap. Um, and I know that probably sounds sort of weird to say, because, as you say, people do tend to want to avoid it, um, with the exception of those, as you say, that seem to love getting into the middle of it. Mm-hmm. But those are typically not introverts because it's just not, it, it, it's a much more out there place to be. But conflict is kind of, at some level, inherent in how we rub up against each other. You know, I, I know that. Many, many years ago, in one of my early romantic relationships, we were both very proud of the fact that we never argued. And yet, looking back on that, I'm like, whoa, (laughs) there was a lot of people pleasing going on there. There was a lot of avoiding, as you say. So I think the real challenge is to understand that, first off, conflict. and, And I think, you know, when you talk about negotiation, that is a type of conflict yes. because two people are involved or two parties are involved wanting at least somewhat different things. And, and I think, you know, we are in negotiation more often than we think we are. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to out and out conflict, I think that we tend to define it as a win-lose proposition and we tend to frame it in a sense of identity mm-hmm. so that we are in this tribe, if you will, of people who believe this way. And that other person is in this tribe of people who believe a different way. And it's, we're, we're clearly right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> and they're clearly wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> and so we have to exert ourselves to convince them otherwise. And I think whether you're an extrovert or an introvert or somewhere in between, I think that that can be a very uncomfortable place to be. 
if we look at conflict as being more of an opportunity to understand mm -hmm. a different perspective um, and as giving other people the freedom that we want them to give us to have our own opinions. Yeah. So they get to have theirs, we get to have ours, and they may try to make that into a conflict in the sense of they have to prove us wrong, but we don't have to accept that invitation to argue. Mm -hmm. I think that just opens up the doors, really. If we can look at what is really going on for that person, so much conflict comes down to the surface issues, if you will, the presenting symptoms. You know, I believe this way, you believe that way. Well, why do you believe that way? And I think a big part of the challenge is that we think we have to change people's minds. Mm -hmm. And what is actually more interesting to do, if, if you're into understanding people at any rate, I find it much more interesting to do, um, is to really explore why someone believes the things they do. I mean... I look at so much of what's happening in the world right now, and I, you know, whatever side you're on, you, everybody seems to be really intensely focused on saying that the other quote unquote side is wrong and that they need to change how they're behaving and change what they're doing and change what they're thinking and saying and so on. But I think we really can't solve any of these conflicts, whether they're minor ones. Um, obviously not minor to the people involved, but smaller ones around the dinner table or bigger ones on the streets of our cities. We can't solve these conflicts unless we are willing to let go of the defensiveness and look at why might this other person or group of people be thinking and acting and, be and believing the way they do. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point... You know, there, there's a wonderful quote by the spiritual teacher Byron Katie that I love in this context because what she says is defense is the first act of war. Mm -hmm. So if we go in to a situation defensive, the other person is inevitably going to pick that up. And then they will get defensive too, and then it just becomes this battle of, of wills. But if we can go in with genuine curiosity to discover what's underneath the person's thought processes, behaviors, words. And usually I'm going to make a, a, a blanket statement, which I don't often do, but in this case it, I think it holds true. It is almost always some form of fear. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a safe one. What are they afraid of? And if you can ask that, mm -hmm. then you have an opportunity to start to speak to what's going on under the surface instead of, whatever may be manifesting on the surface, which could be, you know, belligerent, angry, defensive, all of those things that tends to create the same response in us. Mm -hmm. It seems to me one of the scariest parts of, of what you're asking us to do is that we have to be ready for the possibility that we are wrong or that, and, and I don't mean to cast it in right or wrong, but just that, you know, we were, that our views were based on um, false assumptions or something else that, that basically, you know, kind of um, turns our own worldview upside down. 
and that can be that can be rather um, frightening. You know, yeah. we're asking somebody else to perhaps entertain the idea that they might be coming from fear that they're wrong. But are we willing to entertain that idea for ourselves? And that's a huge question. I wish I could remember who it was. I read an article recently that mentioned the option that are we willing to have our opinions change? Mm-hmm. You know, are we willing to go into a conversation? As you say, if we are asking that of someone else, then they, you know, they have the right to ask that of us as well. Now, yes. I also hasten to say, because one of the things, you know, when I talk about empathy and conflict and empathy and negotiation, one of the things that people often say to me is that, or, or there's a, there's an inbred assumption, if you will, that this means that understanding somebody, they're going to have to change their minds. Mm-hmm. But understanding someone's reasoning and, um, beliefs and what's guiding them in their actions does not mean you have to agree with them. Exactly. It it does mean you have to be open to adjusting your stand, but it doesn't, it's not like flipping a switch that if you understand them, you will automatically agree. In actual fact, if you understand them, you then have the opportunity to speak to their underlying thought processes and beliefs in such a way that you actually have a lot more information at hand now to potentially, quote unquote, bring them over to your side of the, of the fence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I don't know how many times I've had that kind of conversation in the past year or so that understanding does not equal agreement. Yeah. It's a very simple but very profound <laughs> differentiation. Yeah. And that asking questions and trying to understand doesn't mean that you are identifying or empathizing and not that those things are wrong, but, you know, just that it just means what it is. I'm curious. Exactly. And genuine curiosity is extremely disarming. Yes. Because we're so attuned to, like, trying to influence other people that genuine curiosity is really not about trying to influence. It's just about mm-hmm. what it is. Yeah. Curiosity. It's, I really want to understand you. And, you know, that that experience of being listened to at that level is very rare. Yeah. That's one of the reasons I think conflict is probably just a natural part of life, right? Because it's rare that we are able to simply sit and listen with someone else and and seek to understand before being understood and that sort of thing. But we most often hear that the antidote to conflict is about avoidance, which we've already touched on. In your writing, you talk about conflict transformation. What does that mean? And what does it look like to use that approach? It's interesting because if you look at the typical ways of addressing conflict, we either manage it or we avoid it, we manage it, we try to heal it in some way. And I just, that that whole thing seems to me to be very, again, it's very unempathetic. I mean, healing it, sure. Mm -hmm. Healing is where I really go into this question of conflict transformation. How do we transform conflict into not necessarily, again, not necessarily agreement, but into a willingness to understand each other Mm -hmm. and to find some form of common ground? The interesting thing about conflict, again, is that it is almost never about what's going on on the surface. Mm -hmm. So if we can 
address these underlying questions, then it does transform into collaboration, into, you know, agreeing to find a way to get along. And that doesn't mean necessarily that you are, you know, suddenly becoming a doormat and compromising every which direction. One of my favorite negotiation teachers talks about never being so certain about what you want that you're not willing to accept something better. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And that's, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing that really can happen when we, again, go into conflict from the standpoint of uh, one of my favorite questions in, in these sorts of situations is, why would a reasonable person do or say that? Mm-hmm. And my clients will often turn around and say, but they're not reasonable. And I'm right. like, well, okay, let's pretend they are. <laughs> and then we can look at this from, all right, well, what, you know, what can we see that might be going on for them? And how can we help them feel not just heard, because hearing is, okay, you know, I hear the dog barking, the cat meowing, the wind in the trees, whatever. Mm-hmm. I'm not necessarily paying attention to that and not even understanding because I can understand your words, the logical meaning behind them. But how do we help someone feel felt so that they're really ready to open up and have that conversation from the perspective of transforming the conflict into collaboration and a mutual solution? rather than fighting it out and, you know, winning at all costs. It does not have to be win-lose. And it also is not necessarily win-win, because I think that is an overused term. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like it's also not striving to agree to disagree. When you hear that phrase in this context, where does that fit in, if at all? I think there are times when you know you're not going to agree with somebody. And I think there are times to pick your battles. Mm -hmm. A negotiation that I helped a client with at one point was really based on the one person's desire to be recognized as valuable and the other person being able to see that and do that which resulted in a solution that they were both happy with, but that at the outset would have seemed close to impossible. And it's, it's not, you know, I don't, it's confidential, and so I don't really want to provide any more details than that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Once you understand at that empathetic level, I don't think it's even a question of agreeing to disagree. It's a question of honoring each other's viewpoint mm-hmm. while not necessarily sharing it. And and that probably sounds like I'm splitting hairs syntactically. Yeah. But I think there really is a, a, an energetic difference there. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you can honor and respect someone else's viewpoint without necessarily agreeing or embracing that viewpoint. Exactly. And um, I think that's a very, yeah, important piece of this. And and what you were describing with, you know, one person needing to feel valued and the other person needing to express that, I think that that's such a pervasive dynamic yes. that uh, we don't even need the details to probably have had even personal experience with that. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate that you brought that one there. Yeah, and the way we view value, you know, the way we seek value. Mm-hmm. Um, is, again, often a label of some sort or a symbol or representation of what we're really looking for. And if we can get to that sense, again, of feeling felt, 
then that's where the transformation happens. Absolutely. Well, transformation can seem like a very aspirational place to be when some people I know are just saying, I just want to be able to sit across the table with them without reaching across and (laughs) throttling them. (laughs) So and I'm thinking specifically, and maybe it's because it is the holidays and I hear so much from people about, you know, oh, I have to go, you know, I'm going to be spending time with my relatives or, you know, my extended family. And I know that there's a lot of different opinions around the table, whether that's about politics, religion, sex, money, you know, you name it, all of these hot button issues. Um, And it's not just, of course, the holidays where we encounter this. It's at the dinner table as well as at the the boardroom table. Getting down on a basic level, transformation, I think, is something that we can all be working towards and in the immediate, in the now. What's your best advice for those who find themselves at the table with people who hold those very different views from their own? Um, Mm -hmm. What's a productive path besides just what I hear a lot of people saying is, we just don't talk about it? (laughs) Well, to be honest with you, I think that there is some value to we just don't talk about it. Because I think that picking your battles Mm -hmm. is not necessarily a bad thing. If it's unavoidable, then that question of why would a reasonable person feel that way, say these things, do these things, is very helpful. Not getting into the emotional traps. Uh, there, there is a, without going too far into the brain science of it, there is a natural reaction when one person has gotten highly emotional to go down there with them. Mm-hmm. That is not helpful. oh but why not it's so fun (laughs) and it's not easy to avoid Mm -hmm. but i think that that question of why would a reasonable person be doing this is is a helpful question in that point the other thing too is in that situation where the other person has gotten emotional to not say you don't get so upset it's not that big a deal Because that just inflames them more. When somebody is in the emotional processing centers of the brain, particularly if they've gone way down into the fight, freeze, flight areas, they literally, and I I mean literally in the very literal sense, they cannot process logic. Mm -hmm. So coming at them with logic, which is often something that people will do when somebody else is getting really upset and they feel defensive and want to protect themselves against that that emotionality, coming at them with logic is not a good idea. It will make the situation worse. However, another interesting question to ask is, what is the worst thing about this for you? Mm -hmm. Because again, it it is, when it comes from a place of sincerity, it is truly seeking to understand the other person's experience. And from the brain science perspective, I had somebody tell me once that I should have pop neuroscientist on my job this week. <laughs> I love the brain science behind how all this stuff works. But from the brain science perspective, they almost have to start coming up out of that emotional reaction into a more logical perspective because they have to stop and think about, oh, wow, what is the worst thing about this for me? Mm -hmm. You know, out of all these possible things that are just really freaking me out and making me angry about this situation, what's the worst? And then they have to formulate and articulate an answer to that, which helps them calm down and it helps you understand better what it is that they're reacting to. Mm -hmm. Nice. Thank you for that. 
you've probably saved a few arguments so. <laughs> if people are able so. to take that away. Yeah. I yeah. So. Well, I want to I want to wrap up with um, a few questions that I always wrap up my interviews with. But before I do that, I just have to pull this out because I thought this was an interesting part of your bio: fastest knitter in America. <laughs> <laughs> Back, back, I think it was 2002. And, and it, the, one of the reasons why I feel like it's um, interesting is because of what you said when you were talking about the introvert-extrovert spectrum and the desire for mastery. And so my question was, what is it about knitting that, that takes you to that level of mastery? Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I've been knitting since I was 16, which is many decades ago at this point. I couldn't even do the math on the, off the top of my head. Um, and honestly, the contest only ran twice, 2006 and 2008, and I could not, for various reasons, participate in the second iteration of it. And I'm just as glad, really, because I would far rather be known for the craft and functionality of my knitting than the speed of it. But it was definitely an interesting <laughs> time. <laughs> yeah. What do you like to knit the most? Oh, anything, pretty much. I mean, I don't do a lot of color work. I like texture, you know, cables and, pa and that kind of pattern bed at best. Mm, um, nice. But I've got a drawer full of socks. I've got, you know, sweaters out, come, you know, sort of spilling out of the drawers and closet at this point. And more yarn than I will ever be able to knit in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> I could open a yarn. Store. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we all need those um, creative outlets. And uh, okay. yeah, it sounds like that's an important one. So thanks for sharing a little bit of that, that piece of you with us. So I have waved a magic wand and I've granted you a three-week, all-expenses-paid vacation on Introvert Island. But you can only take three books with you. What would you take with you and why? You know, of all the many times I have listened to your podcast and heard you ask that question of your guests, <laughs> I have always thought, oh, thank God she's not asking me that question. I could never answer with just three. <laughs> and now here I am. Be careful what you're And here you are in the hot in seat. In the hot seat. Um, I have thought about this, and I would really think that as many books as I have in the queue that I want to read, I would like to answer this from the perspective of books that I have read that I think um, I, that I can therefore wholeheartedly recommend. Mm -hmm. So the first one, which I really do want and need to reread, uh, is a phenomenal book on negotiation called Never Split the Difference, Negotiating as if Your Life Depended on It by Christopher Voss. He currently runs um, a negotiation consultancy. Mm -hmm. uh, but up until that, he opened that, he was the lead ho international hostage negotiator for the FBI. And his negotiation tactics are often almost diametrically opposed to what we consider to be the traditional approaches to negotiation, and they are extremely effective. Some of the things I've mentioned um, in our conversation today mm -hmm. have come from him. The second one, I'm going to cheat a little bit and take um, the Lord of the Rings trilogy, the three books as a set, <laughs> uh, by Tolkien. I think probably most people are yep. familiar with that. It's been a long time. My father actually read those books to me when I was, I think, like oh, seven wow. or eight. And I would sneak into the living room and read ahead, <laughs> and then I would have to sit and wait for him to read and catch up with me. So those books... I both love them for their stories and also for the memories yeah. in them. And then the third book actually is a children's book. It was originally published in 1961, believe it or not. I had to look that up. 
And it is still in print today, which says a lot. And that, that is the Phantom Toll Booth. I had a feeling you were going to say that. <laughs> I love that book. Yes, by Norton Jester. With yes, it's a phenomenal book. With Jules Pfeiffer's illustrations, it's one book that you really have to get in uh, in paper rather than on the Kindle because the Kindle or e-readers just don't do a great mm-hmm. job with illustrations. And it is a book, I mean, it's it's considered to be a child's book or a young adult maybe, but very young. I mean, a tween at the oldest, I think. But it has so yeah. many layers to it, and it is so rich in the way it uses language and twists language in very fun ways. And I haven't read it in a long time. I used to have two copies because I would lend one. I think I still do. I would lend one out and it would often not come back. So I always have two copies. Exactly. you got to be careful when you lend those books. <laughs> so funny I was just thinking of the phantom toll booth just a few days ago and and um, mm. I don't I'm not sure what spurred it but it was you know a, I need to read that again yeah. and I only encountered it as an adult so um, it's a treat to discover that for the first time yeah. yeah it was given to me when I was a kid we had a tradition at Christmas time that there was always a book at the top of my stocking and I had to finish the book before nice. I could come wake everybody up ah, I love yeah. it well it's very much I think it's ice Iceland they have the book flood. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I couldn't start reading until it was light enough outside to read it. <laughs> Great memories. Yes. Well, how can people get in touch with you, Grace, and learn more about you and your work? Um, my website is easy because it's my name, gracejudson.com. Mm-hmm. And I also have a Facebook group. It is a youthful group at the moment. I just started a little while ago, so it's still small and fairly quiet, but I'm trying to rabble-rouse in there, um, <laughs> called the Connection Incubator. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, it is a place where people can come and ask questions. You know, I often uh, am in there offering on-the-fly ideas and suggestions, and people have really stepped up and, and been brave about putting their stuff forward in there and um, have reported back on getting good results from, from what I've suggested. So that's very rewarding for me and hopefully for the people there as well. Fantastic. And is that Facebook page, is that is that a page or a group? It's a group. It's a private. It's a private group. So if someone wants to join it, they would just make a request. Exactly. Okay, terrific. Well, thank you so much. Um, you. I, I find myself saying a lot, you know, how grateful I am for the generosity of my guests. And um, and that word never ceases to be appropriate. So thank you for your generosity. Thank you. It's been fun. <laughs> it's been a lot of fun chatting with you, Grace. So thank you and happy holidays. Happy holidays to you as well. Remember to join Grace's Facebook group or watch her site for an announcement about a virtual program she has coming up called the Conversation Lab. Based on what I know of Grace, both will be terrific offerings. And you can find her Introvert Island book selections that she mentioned in this episode listed on the episode webpage at theintrovertentrepreneur.com slash podcast. A quick thank you to those of you who took advantage of the $1.99 sale price on the ebook version of The Introvert Entrepreneur. It was awesome and humbling to know that more and more people were getting the information and gifting it to others. I hope that you, if you're one of those readers, put the information to good use in 2018. And if you want personal support from me in doing so, get in touch with me to learn more about my coaching and my strategy session services. I have a few spots that will open up in February for new clients. So if we have a chance to talk in January, one of those spots could be yours. 
Email me at beth at theintrovertentrepreneur.com or fill out my query form on my website. I'd be delighted to talk with you. And I always say this, I hope that it's a good fit and I hope that we resonate. And if it turns out that we're not a good fit, I have a great network of colleagues that I'm happy to offer for referrals. So in having a conversation, there's really nothing to lose. So I hope you reach out to me if you feel like that kind of conversation would be supportive to you. Before we go, I want to give another special thank you to Marina VF, who recently left a a really lovely iTunes review for this podcast. She wrote, Beth's podcast is refreshing. It's a voice of integrity, a collection of conversations full of sharp insights, and completely void of hype and attempts to impress the masses. Music to my introvert ears. Marina, your words mean so much to me. I can't even begin to tell you. And for some reason, that's that's making me tear up a little bit. Um, Because you have captured my hopes for the listener experience. And for that, I'm deeply grateful. So thank you. Thank you. And if this podcast means as much to you as it does to Marina, I invite you to consider leaving your own review on iTunes. It helps others know what to expect and whether it's worth their time. Thank you for your consideration. And thank you also so much for joining me. And thank you to Paul Messing, my fearless podcast producer. This is Beth Belove, the introvert entrepreneur. It's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. Happy holidays to you and yours. And until we meet again in the new year, remember that success is an inside job.